Welcome to the Hiker Trash Podcast. This is a project of Local Exposure Magazine. My name is Ronnie Pettit, and I'm your host. The Hiker Trash Project began with my curiosity about why people through hike the Appalachian Trail, or any long trail. I wondered why they do it, what they gain from it, and how that experience might manifest itself in their life after the trail. I spent an entire year following, photographing, and interviewing through hikers on the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine and all the way back to Georgia. I put all that, those interviews and photographs, into a 200-page coffee table book. And now we're going to continue the project as a podcast. So listen along as we track down some of the people we met along the way and interview new hikers and find out, did that experience change them or... Did it simply provide the context to reveal who they already are? You can find out more about Local Exposure Magazine on the internet at localexposuremagazine.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at local.exposure.magazine. The intro music for today's episode was provided by Scott Lowe. He's a Northeast Georgia-based singer-songwriter. You can find him on Instagram at Songs. Okay, here we go, folks. On today's episode, we have Couch to Katahdin, also known as CK. Say hello, CK. Hey, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. Man, I really appreciate you coming to do this in person. For one, I really, really like your story. So let's uh, let's just start with that trail name. How'd that come about? So... uh for starters, I didn't think I'd ever get a trail name. I, I'm not the popular kid. You know, I was worried that I'd never get one. And uh, I'm hiking along with a guy named John, and uh, no trail name yet for him either. And he's out there with his new wife, Miriam. They were newlyweds hiking the trail together for their honeymoon. And uh, just like you asked me for my story, John asks, you know, about my my life and, and my family and past experience. And, and I said, well, we can start with that, John. Uh, I said, I've, I've never hiked before. This is, this is it for me. I said, I basically got up off the couch and started walking to Katahdin. And he says, CK. Wow. I said, CK what? I didn't even get it. He says, couch to Katahdin, CK, I'm giving you your trail name. I said, oh, I love it. Nice. It's perfect. Nice. Because I thought I kind of had, I never asked, but I kind of thought maybe you had come up with that on your own nope i photographed some newlyweds at deep gap about the same time i met you did he have glasses a big red beard that's him okay that's him i photographed them and i never was able to get back in touch with them but i remember and i i have a photograph of them and his new wife is miriam so let's talk about this how did hiking the appalachian trail even become something that you would consider or did consider? For me, that goes back 25 years. Uh, it starts with a Reader's Digest article that I read. I, I want to say it was 98. Wow. And uh, it was an article about a thru-hiker. I have no idea 
who it was, or I, I could never find the magazine again, but I just remember thinking that this is, is something that's unbelievable, something that's impossible. How, how, could, how could anybody do that? I didn't want to do it. I just, it made an impression on me as something fantastic. And fast forward all these years later, I never forgot about that reading that article. It made an impact on me. Still didn't want to do it. And uh, things happen in life sometimes. For me, it was, uh, I got hit with a whole bunch of things in a very short period of time. Um, I went through a divorce. My dog died. I was in a horrible car wreck. Uh, my job changed. I, I just got, I got beat down in, in about a six-month period of time. Wow. And uh, I was just left kind of, I don't know, adrift, just wondering what's next. What do I do now? Every Everything's different, my perfect life. And uh, just sort of wanting, needing something. And uh, at the time, I'd already moved back east from California to North Carolina. And it, it's like the, the thought of the Appalachian Trail just sort of came back from that 25-year-old article I had read. And it, it just happened in an instant, I knew what I needed to do. It wasn't even want. I needed to do this. Were you living anywhere near the trail at the time? I was in Asheville. Uh, I think I was about three hours away from the trailhead. And and Hot Springs, North Carolina, is only about an hour from Asheville, so pretty close. Were you already like a hiker at all? Or, I mean, an outdoorsy person or, or what? As far as hiking, absolutely not. I had never hiked one inch before. I had never backpacked a single night. <laughs> Sorry, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I, I know my friends and family thought I was nuts when I made the announcement that I was going to do this. Now, I had done some family campouts as a kid. You know, I wasn't a complete stranger to sleeping in a tent, but this is car camping, right? You load up the truck, you bring the bicycles, you bring your barbecue, you bring all the Frisbees, you bring, you bring right. all the stuff, and you go for couple of nights. Right. If it'll fit in the car, you can yeah. bring it. And then you, you go home Sunday afternoon. So I'd done some some camping growing up for sure, but but hiking and backpacking, zero. What, what about zero. other like athletic things? Were you an athletic person at all? No, no high school sports. No, no, I'm not a runner. I'm not a workout guy. Absolutely not. Just, just average. Wow. So, so how did you prepare then? My preparation was minimal. I watched some YouTube videos, and I randomly selected the gear that I thought would be good. And one time and one time only, I left the house, and I went on a 10-mile walk. I walked five miles out, paved road in town, and five miles back. And it took me somewhere between three and four hours, and my legs were sore, but I thought, yeah, I got this. <laughs> That's crazy. Did it once. I think the... Uh... The theme for this podcast might be uh, through hiking, no experience required. Go watch YouTube videos. Anybody can do it. And I think that's true, man. Anybody can do it. I think there's a lot of anxiety from people who haven't done it that worry about all that physical, all the physical things. But from what I'm learning from people is almost anybody is capable would you agree? A hundred percent. I don't want to undersell it because it was hard, but 
at the end of the day, it's just walking day after day after day. It's just walking. It's, it's uphills and downhills and it's strenuous. There's the heat and the pack weight, but it's just walking. True. Do you remember when we first met? Of course. <laughs> I'll tell my side and you can tell your side, but, uh, I just started working on this project and, um, I had been going up to Deep Gap and doing a little bit of trail magic, but I think it was one of those all-day rain days, and uh, you and some other people came through, and I had my tarp set up and some candy, and that was the first time we met. I learned your trail name. I think you told me you had uh, also flipped a house or bought and sold a house, so you kind of were out of a commitment at the moment in addition to other things that were going on. And uh, even then, that was uh, like, I don't know, first week at least, I would assume, right? Deep Gap's first week. Yep. Uh, and already you were saying like, man, this trail's kicking my butt. <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of difficulties were you did you have in the beginning? I, I had every struggle that a new hiker can have. My pack weight was 45 pounds. That's, that's huge. Uh, day one, I managed three miles. I camped on the approach. I, I couldn't make Springer. <laughs> because it was hard, like physical? Wrecked me. Yeah, going up those steps at Amicalola with 45 pounds on my back, it wrecked me. So I made three miles day one. I camped trailside on the approach, made Springer on day two. Was uh, that discouraging? No, I think it was perfect. Nice. Yeah, I think it was perfect. How so? Uh, I, I had no expectations because I had no experience. I mean, I didn't know hiking one mile from hiking 20 miles. I didn't understand pack weight. I didn't understand resupply. I didn't know what I was supposed to eat on the trail. You know what I brought day one? I brought cheese, lunch meat, and avocados. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I didn't have a dehydrated meal. (laughs) That's like a school. Oh, and bell peppers. Like I had sliced bell. Trip. I had sliced bell pepper too. <laughs> all wet food, all incredibly heavy. Oh, I just snorted. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that out. That is so funny. Yeah, food. Food was one of my biggest struggles, and and pack weight was ridiculous. I had a hardcover book. I had a chair. I had an umbrella. I had every gadget you could possibly hike. Uh, packing your fears is a real thing. What was the hardcover book? Uh, it was a Stephen King book. I don't remember the title, but I was about halfway through it when I started the trail, and I want to finish. You have something to do at night, you know. I wanted to read my book, and that ended day two. So, did I assume at some point you lost some weight from your pack? Yeah, Neil's Gap Shakedown. Those guys saved my life. They dumped my pack out and uh, went through it with a fine tooth comb, and I dropped ten pounds on the spot. Wow. I mean, did they make fun of you or laugh or like, or they were just compassionate about? They know. they were supportive. I was one of many that needed the the advice. Yeah, I, I went in blind. So many people uh, are novices with zero experience. I'm not the only one that deserved that trail name. There were probably hundreds out there like me that go at it with no experience. They just need to do this thing. Did you have a point like in the early early days that where you kind of transitioned from like, you know, have my avocado and cheese to like more appropriate 
supplies and or hiking and or camp setup and things like that? Like, what was that transition like? Yeah, the the, the learning curve, the uh, the trail teaches you. That's a uh, it was a steep and painful process. Um, I I also felt like I was surrounded by elite athletes and and professional hikers. So I was I really tried to stay in the background and just watch what other people do, watch what they eat. I didn't even want to ask questions because I thought I would look ridiculous and amateurish. But uh, so it probably took a month and um, I started buying the top ramen and the mashed potatoes and the dehydrated backpacker meals. And my pack got lighter. My pack got smaller and more refined. I learned how to pack my pack. That's a, that's a big deal. How to roll up your tent, how to do these things quickly and efficiently. Um, but it, it was just observation. And it's funny because they were probably doing the same thing, but I felt like I was the only one. Mm. Like I was this complete amateur, out of place, didn't belong out here with these with these hikers. In fact, I did not hang my hang tag, the uh, tag that signifies a through hiking attempt. Right, when you register with the ATC. I was... I don't know if I was embarrassed or or what the word is, but I refused to hang my hang tag on my pack until I had 500 miles under my belt. It was in Grayson Highlands, uh, where the wild ponies are, that I finally felt like I had the right to hang my hang tag and to announce my through hike to the rest of the hikers. And I just felt out of place. I mean, like, you're a really social person. It sounds like everybody was afraid to ask a dumb question. Yeah, I'm sure we were. I, I definitely felt out of place. I wasn't. I learned later. Yeah. But I felt like I was. In Damascus, I saw you again in Damascus during trail days. You, even even then, you had lost, the t-shirt you were wearing was just hanging on you. I, I lost 40 pounds, and I realized I didn't answer your question when I first saw you. Uh, it was oh, yeah. It was a rainy, drizzly day, and I was hiking alone that day. And, of course, I see your truck parked in the gap there, and, and I saw you had your, your canopy rolled out, and I just wanted to get out of the rain. And I assumed you'd probably have some trail magic, a, a, some, a soda or something to eat. And then, of course, you had your dog hut with you. So I just wanted to get out of the rain for a few minutes, and uh, I didn't realize that you uh, had produced that first book, the Trout Edition. And, of course, I wanted to pet your dog and get something to eat. So at first, it was just getting out of the rain, but then I uh, it turned out to be quite a bit more. Did you meet anybody in the early days that you kind of stuck with, buddied up with, not really full-on Tramley yet, but kind of like paced with and uh, kind of worked off each other? I did. I, I fell in with a with a group of three, so I, I was the fourth. And uh, it's funny, I was 50 years old when I started my hike. I was the youngest of that first uh, sort of Tramley. Wow. There were two sisters, uh Boris and Clyde were their trail names, and then they were in their probably middle to late 50s, so they were a few years older than me, and then there was uh, Ploddy. He was just plodding along. Huh. His, his wife had given him that trail name years ago, but he's 77, and I hiked with them for a good, for a good while, and uh, that was my first tramley. What about when I saw you in Damascus? Were you feeling... Or were, how were you feeling? I, I limped into Damascus. I had shin splints that were 
at one point close to my lowest time on trail. I also had poison oak when I got to Damascus, so I was a wreck. Uh, so I actually stayed in Damascus for five days. That was probably my longest, uh, my most zeros in a row off trail, but I got my shin splints dealt with. I got my poison oak dealt with and took a good long rest from Wednesday all the way to Sunday before we hiked out so again. So that's like the during the whole festival. Like yep. You, yep. Did you, and you hiked in, it just worked out that you hiked in at the right time? Worked out perfectly. I hiked in Wednesday afternoon, uh, which is essentially the day before trail day starts. It kicks off on Thursday officially. I hiked in Wednesday afternoon, just naturally. Did you plan that, or did you know anything about the festival? I knew nothing about <laughs> anything in terms of the Appalachian Trail. I didn't understand a resupply. I didn't understand mailing yourself a package. I didn't know how I was supposed to get new shoes. I knew nothing. I winged this thing. Were you using a uh, uh, guidebook or that Far Out app or something like I did, that? I did download the Far Out app, which was what, such a great tool. Uh, but other than that, I just sort of kept quiet and, and watched and listened to what other people did. If I heard somebody saying they were getting off trail to, to go to a Walmart or a Dollar General, I thought, eh, I, I probably should do that too. And I just sort of followed along in the background, tended like I knew what I was doing. Keen observations. Yeah. I do remember in Damascus seeing you again just spontaneously walking by my little booth, asked you how you were doing, and again you said, man, this trail's kicking my ass. <laughs> it was tough. I underestimated the physical aspect of it, and I underestimated the mental aspect of it. Both were were tougher than I anticipated. I think the physical aspect is probably easy for people to at least imagine. Can you elaborate on some of the mental challenges and of doing that? Yeah, for starters, that's one of the things that that drew me to doing this thing in the first place. I, I like a mental challenge. I rise to a mental challenge. I'm not an I'm not an athlete, not an overly physical guy, but if you challenge me mentally, I'm I'm interested. So so I knew that would be there and I assumed I would breeze right through that part of it because I'm I've got a pretty strong mental game. Uh, but I was not prepared for how hard it would be mentally. Six months, three days, every day, the grind, the the wash, rinse, repeat, the moving your camp anywhere from 10 to 25 miles down trail, depending on how you feel that day, day after day after day, state after state after state. It was tough. It It, it gets really hard to stay out there. Did you ever think about quitting? Dozens of times. Yeah, dozens of times. That's when a tramley can help. That's when taking a couple of zeros can help. But absolutely, I thought about quitting countless times. But you didn't. Yeah, luckily I've got a stubborn streak in me. I knew I wanted to put this feather in my cap. I really wanted that photo at Katahdin. And I, I just pushed. There's, a, there's an interesting saying that I actually saw written in chalk at trail days, and it said, quit or keep going, they're both going to hurt. Mm. I think that's a great motto. Yeah, true. What kind of work did you do before or in the real world? For quite a few years, I worked as a pipe fitter, um, traveling around, building breweries, wineries, and uh, distilleries, 
And then most recently, I bought a property and just flipped a house, remodeled it and flipped it. And you're right, that's what enabled me to uh, fund this adventure. I, the house sold in February, and I started the hike in March. So I didn't have a traditional job to quit or go back to, and I had the, the money from the sale of the house, so it made it real convenient. Were, were you planning the hike before, or was it like, hey, house just sold, leaving for somewhere next week? It was real close to that. The house sold in February, and I was left with basically no job. Do I go get a conventional nine-to-five job? Do I buy another house to flip? Do I take some time off because it's winter time? It was uh, one of those transitional periods where it was timing was nice. And that old Reader's Digest article just went off like a light bulb. It did. The house selling in mid-February and me starting the hike in mid-March, March 22nd, was my start date. Basically gave me right out a month to learn what I could, get the gear, and and go. So it was a real brief period of uh, when I decided to do it to, to doing it. Basically a month. So you were, I guess you could say you're a goal-oriented person. That's That's fair to say I... And and your approach to the trail was goal, 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 not necessarily like, I guess, the, if you would, the other side of the spectrum of that would be like smelling the roses type person. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I wanted the time to self-reflect. Self I wanted the transformative experience, but also I wanted the win. I, I wanted the photo at Katahdin, so it's both. And I also needed something at that point in my life. I was left wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? What's next? I guess I needed some time to mm. make some decisions, and I figured I know what I can do for six months. Well, so other than the goal, the like I want to win this game or finish this task other than that other than that did you have any preconceived ideas about what you wanted to get out of it other than like hey i just need some time like did you did you have any thoughts of like i'm going to go on this trail and then xyz is going to happen and no i guess the short answer is no and and having no prior experience and also no expectations i didn't i sort of was a little bit aloof for a long time. I just figured I would just hike and camp and hike and camp and hike and camp and spend the time out there just to have the time to gather my thoughts, to decide what's next. Uh, the big one, though, was was the, the check mark, putting the feather in my cap. I, I wanted to be among these uh, the small number of people that have done this do you remember a time when you felt like everything was dialed in? You've got your camp set up, your food, you're hiking well, you're strong, and you are completely capable and comfortable. Yes and no. As far as the the gear and the camping and the food and the resupply and the logistics, yes. I'd say it probably took me a good couple of months 
to dial in that end of it and feel comfortable with the routine. Physically, no. Every single day was hard physically, even the last day. So your body, of course, gets stronger. You get more conditioned. You're able to get more uh, more mileage, but it's hard. Every single day was hard. And maybe that's because you push more mileage. Uh, Like, for instance, day one was three miles for me, and then towards the end of the trail, we could do 20s relatively easily. So, But physically, it kind of never got easier. Does that wear on your mind or motivation as well? It does. Uh, The mental game is is interesting the the repetitiveness of it the the 6 months the duration beats you down um thinking about the end i still have 1500 miles still have 1000 miles still have 500 miles it seems insurmountable at times it's important uh to be present and not to focus on the goal, the prize, which I did too often. I probably thought about Katahdin every day, even mm. when it was 2,000 miles away. That's a hard thing to anticipate. So I think it's more important to be present, to quote-unquote smell the roses and take it all in. Uh, I don't know that I did enough of that. In the interview with Honey Bee and Six Mill, he talked about kind of like the buzzword of embracing the suck and he mentioned that he really enjoyed those physically or environmentally challenging times that he got a lot out of that and i could i can see that i mean this is intense and also thrilling how did you approach those environmentally tough days and also how did you deal with the mundane days? Because I know, man, there are long stretches of, like you said, get up, hike, go to bed, get up, hike, go to bed. Is that also just as challenging? I think the mundane days were more challenging. Uh, when you're in the midst of uh, the pouring rain and the freezing cold and those more extreme conditions, it's easier to be present because it sucks. And it's all you can think about is your feet have been wet for three days. You're freezing. You have to eat your lunch in the rain. I think it's easier to be present on those days and forget about the big picture for me anyway. But when the weather was nice and the terrain is a little friendlier and you're able to uh, think about what you've still got ahead of you, then the realization at least for me, hit me that, man, I've still got three more months, four more months, a thousand miles. Whereas if you're hiking in the pouring rain, all you're thinking about is how much this pouring rain sucks. Yeah. I haven't really thought about it that way before, but I can see that with an environmental challenge, you have a tangible adversary or a tangible thing to lean against, fight against, or embrace Whereas, you know, in the mundaneness, all you have is your mind 
to battle. Yeah, this is true. It was interesting also at the halfway mark. You think that would be this this great accomplishment, and it is. But then you immediately realize, wow, I have to do that again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. So tell me... Tell me, what was a low point for you? What was... What was something that is still like a, I don't want to say a bad memory, but a tough memory? That's an easy one for me. It's when it's when physically I felt like I couldn't continue. And for me, it was, it was shin splints. It was a combination of shin splints and blisters of all things. At one point, I had five blisters, three on one foot, two on another foot, and I had shin splints in one or the other leg. And every time I put my foot on the ground, it was painful. I was limping down trail. And I thought to myself, you can't finish like that. It it simply, at least I can't, it was impossible. You can't limp to Maine when every footfall is painful. So I had to deal with uh, physically my body telling me, you got to make some changes. How long did you endure that before it improved? I got good advice at trail days on dealing with shin splints. I learned about stretching. I learned a little bit about leg muscles, uh, but it took weeks. The blisters, you know, you you do what you can on trail. You pop them. You get your toe socks. You you just try to, you know, fix yourself up as best you can while you're hiking. But it took weeks. So I had a good two-week period when I was pretty down because I didn't think I could finish physically. Do you have a, not necessarily a high point, maybe a high point, or a favorite section, favorite place, spot, or something that happened that just sticks out as, like, number one? That one's a little bit tough for me. I don't remember the names of campsites. I don't remember the names of the towns I stopped in. I hardly remember the names of the hostels I stayed in. Everything is kind of a blur, but the mountains, uh, the Smoky Mountains, were were beautiful. They were. It's like a true enchanted forest. So I definitely remember that as as maybe the most beautiful section of trail for me. And that was early on. Yeah. And so you had good weather going through the Smokies. No. Oh, nice. It was it was cold. We had mornings and nights that were in the low twenties. Uh, it was probably the coldest time on trail. Putting frozen socks on in the morning is uh, pretty defeating. Well, that's pretty cool that, you know, even in those conditions, that's still like a high point for you. Let's talk about Tramley. Did you get, did you become a part of a Tramley or like what is called a trail family? Yeah, I mentioned the first group that I fell in with where I was the youngest of the of the four and uh, they didn't make it for different reasons. They They got off trail. So then I hiked alone again for a while, and I I fell in with a group of hikers that were younger and stronger than me, but great, great people. And I tried my best to keep up with them. They were Swiss and Lightfoot and Messenger, Road Soda. Uh, Of course, Grandmaster was part of that group, and it's so sad what happened to him. Uh, I tried my best, though, to keep up with them, and uh, I, I think I walked myself into shin splints because of them. 
I was pushing myself a little too hard, but they were such great people. So I sort of was on the fringe of their trail family, um, couldn't keep up. And then, yeah, I ended up forming a great tramley with uh, Patience, Happiest Girl, and Chipmunk, and um, went thousands of miles wow. with them. So, like, describe tramley. Do you, is it like a is it like an instant bond with people, or is it like a, a slow simmer to figure out the people that you're gonna? like connect to, I mean, it's got to be more than the fact that, Hey, we're hiking the same trail at about the same pace. Yeah. It's a combination of things. So I, I think first of all, you, you hit it off personality wise. You, you find that you have something in common with, with people and it, it was slow. Um, for instance, I hiked around chipmunk for what seemed like months. You would you end up seeing the same person over and over and over again on the trail, in the hostels, at the stores in town, and you just sort of fall in. Um, interestingly enough, there's a shelter called Partnership Shelter where we actually formed our tramley, our our partnership. From that moment on, we were nearly inseparable. So that was interesting for us. But it 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 sort of developed slowly, but then it solidified there at the at the partnership shelter. Is, is was that like a conscious decision to say, hey, we're gonna hike together? Or is it just unspoken in the air? Definitely unspoken in the air. We we all just sort of felt it. It felt right. We got up in the morning and we're a tramley now. So at that point you people talk about hike your own hike. So once you're in a tramley, say there's three people in the tramley, at any given moment, two of those are potentially compromising or uh, acquiescing what they might want to do in order to do what the tramley is that. Did you feel that? There's a little bit of give and take there. Luckily, our tramley was like-minded enough. We like to get up relatively early in the morning. We like to get to camp at basically dinner time. So we were close enough that. If you give an an hour or so on either end, it's not a big deal. I never felt like I was giving up my hike because our hike together was close enough to what I wanted anyway. And then you can always get up a little earlier and hike alone that day or not stop for lunch if you need some time, if you need some distance. You're still a tramley, and you can be a mile up the trail from them and feel like you're you're completely alone again. Mm. How does that being in a tramley enhance or does it enhance the experience for you? Absolutely enhanced it for me because you become great friends. You have great conversation. You you learn about the other person's family and, and things they've done in their life. Uh, it's just true friendship. I, I think it enhanced the hike. Have you remained close with them? Absolutely. That's awesome. Yep. Do you ever have to experience maybe other tramley or see like like a breakup? Like I can imagine it like if you're find yourself in a tramley and then it's no longer really working for you or a person that there has to be a separation and that seems like a difficult spot to be in. It is cuz it can feel like a breakup. In fact, one of the one of my tramley members, uh, happiest girl, at one point in the hike, decided to 
hike on her own and and it was a little bit it was a little bit sad she came to us and and it was tearful and wow. and said guys i i just um i want to i want to hike my own hike i want to strike off on my own and and we hugged her goodbye and it's a little bit sad yeah it's like a breakup yeah and even on on her side that's got to take some courage to to be the one to do that to know that they needed that absolutely Let's talk about the hundred mile wilderness. I think uh, for some people have very different experiences there. It's kind of built up as this ominous thing. It's like the last big gauntlet before you get to Katahdin, and there's even uh, signs at the trailhead, that, you know, with warnings of you know true wilderness or must have ten days worth of food and and things like that. What was your experience there? Yeah, that's a great question. Early on, I was terrified of the 100-mile wilderness. I didn't see how anybody could pack 10 days of food and to be so remote, no cell service, no no help of any kind, no road crossings. It seemed really daunting. But then, of course, you get that 2,000 miles under your belt. You realize you can hike 20, at least I could, 20, 25 miles a day if I wanted to. So I was no longer worried uh, let's say logistically, I knew I could easily pack four to five days worth of food and and make a hundred miles. In fact, I was regularly doing hundred mile stretches between resupplies. Okay. So I knew I could do that part of it. Uh, was no longer worried. My personal experience in the hundred mile wilderness was was interesting. For starters, it rained every single day for the five days I was there, so that was a bit miserable. But then you're also excited that this is the end. You can you're start to get glimpses of Katahdin when the when the clouds clear. Because of that rain, I actually got separated from my tramley on on the first night. I stayed at a full shelter, and they opted to push on to the next shelter. And I told them I'm going to get up early in the morning, make up that distance, and reconnect with them. So I did. I got up early and I pushed hard. And they weren't there, so I assumed they were ahead of me. So I continued to push every day trying to catch them when, in fact, they zeroed at the <laughs> shelter. And all I was doing is putting more distance between me and them. Wow. So, But at that point, I wanted to be done. I actually had uh, family flying out from California. My two brothers flew out from California to meet me on the trail on a specific day. So I had a, a hard finish date that I wanted. So I... I pushed 20 miles a day, basically for five days to get through the 100-mile wilderness in the miserable, pouring rain. The rivers were high. The water crossings were were a bit treacherous for me when I went through. I actually fell in the river once trying to do a rock hop, and having separated from my family and had a my real family coming to meet me at the trail, I just pushed hard, uh, basically 20 miles a day. Were you were ready for it to be over more than ready for it to be over. <laughs> I was ready for it to be over for the last couple of months. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, uh, w- which is unfortunate. Uh, if I could go back, I would enjoy it more. I would be more present instead of just going for the accomplishment, which was really important to me. I wish I would have taken a little more time to enjoy every day. I remember the third time I saw you on the trail, which was at A-Ball, and I had been camping there for several weeks. I had just walked to the kiosk, which for people who don't know, the tra- where the trail 
enters Baxter State Park. I just walked there with leaf blower with Hut and just said our goodbyes. And I was standing there just looking at the mountain. And you walked up beside me, kind of like a little bit behind me, but beside me. <laughs> and you said, do you know who I am? I'm a pretty big deal around here. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. And and in all fairness, I had just hiked almost 2,200 miles, so uh, I felt like kind of a big deal. Oh, that cracked me up because I turned to look at you, and, and, and you know, I'd seen so many people. My brain had to spin for a minute, but you were almost unrecognizable from when I first saw you in at Deep Gap as far as, like, the weight you've lost— you had all it looked like you had all your clothes on like a puffy jacket, rain pants, all bundled up and a bandana and we talked there for a minute and I remember asking you then, you know, do you have any other big epic adventures planned? And do you remember what you said? Absolutely not. You I'll s- never hike again. Yeah, you said no way this trail kicked my ass. Like every time I met you, three times along the trail, Georgia, Virginia, and at the end in Maine, you said the same thing. This trail has kicked my ass. It it was tough physically and mentally. I like to say at the end of the day, it's just walking. And in a way it is, but it's tough. It'll it'll strip you down physically and mentally both. I lost 40 pounds. Wow. And I didn't have 40 pounds to lose necessarily. I wasn't a, necessarily an overweight guy. Well, you kept your sense of humor, or or maybe it wasn't humor, but you also said after we talked for a minute— and I don't know if you were anxious to get going or, or if this was just you being funny, but you said, well, are you going to take a picture of me standing in front of this mountain or not? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both, a little, little bit of humor and a little bit of wanting to be done with this thing. I didn't have a moment to spare. Oh, it was good to see you then. You know, it's so awesome to see people, you know, on both ends of that adventure. Tell me about, let's talk about Summit Day. What was that like? Summit day was was bittersweet. Uh, I had been separated from my family, from Patience and Chipmunk, who I'd hiked with for, I don't know, maybe 1,500 miles. We got close. We're still close. So, of course, I wanted to summit with them, and, and we got separated, but uh, it's okay. Um, the It was still epic. I mean, my first real glimpse of Katahdin was basically after A-Ball because the weather was raining every day. It was overcast, and I hit a perfect weather window. When I when I got up that morning to summit, it was blue skies, and it was perfect, and I, I started to see Katahdin, and it's emotional. Could you see it at the A-Ball bridge or at the kiosk then? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yes. Basically you, at, okay. the, at the kiosk, yeah. So I, it was really late. Other people saw it. I don't know if it was hundreds of miles down trail, but there were rumors that there were places to see Katahdin. I never did because of the weather, but um, that last day was emotional. When you work that hard for something and when it's, 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 it's in your grasp now, you can see it. You think to yourself, I'm going to finish today. It's emotional, man. I'm not, a, I'm not the type of guy that cries, but I did multiple times on the way up. Wow. And it's, uh, I think it's a five-hour hike, plus or minus, from Katahdin Stream up to the summit, and there were multiple times that I, I, I kind of lost it, and then and, and you were at this point you were hiking up alone. I was, which which I appreciated actually a little bit. Um, I, I needed to be in my own place, in my own world, my own thoughts, and uh, 
when I got up there and touched that sign, you can't imagine working so hard for something for so long. At times it seems unattainable. And then you put your hand on that sign. It's just a simple wooden sign on top of a mountain that meant everything. It meant everything. Did you feel like, uh, was it like the sense of accomplishment or I won, I won the Super Bowl or whatever? Or Absolutely. I was on top of the world. Uh, part of me couldn't believe I did it. Another part of me maybe secretly knew I could do it, uh, but it was, it was an incredible accomplishment. The pride that you feel is, is unmeasurable. So you can't stay on top of the mountain forever. So you got to come down. So what was it like after you finished the trail and had to come back home, or you didn't really have a home to come back to, did you? Not exactly. So uh, for starters, once I got my my win, got my Katahdin photos, um, I sort of checked out. I I just want to be off this mountain. I'm done. I got nothing left to give, so I took the shortest route down. Definitely wasn't going to do Razorback, and I don't remember the name of the line that I took down, but it was considered the fastest and the easiest, uh, which unfortunately put me on the wrong side of the mountain. So uh, I actually hitched a ride with a park ranger all the way back around to Katahdin Stream. And then, like I said, my brothers flew out from California, which was huge. I hope they know how much that means to me. Uh, they came and basically picked me up, and uh, we spent a few days in Maine um, having a good time. Let's let's talk about your philosophy on hiking, because, and you've mentioned this to me before, that you were adamant that you were going to put your foot on every step of that trail. No, no like yellow blazing or aqua blazing or taking a different route back to the trail or slack packing. Tell, talk to me about that. So there's a, there's, there's gotta be a thousand different ways to approach something like that. And, and, and each one is personal and, and anything, any hike your own hike is, is the, uh, the expression for me, I wanted to be a purist. I wanted to hike every inch of the trail northbound with full pack weight. I wanted to see every blaze head on. That's what was important to me because I knew, I assumed I would finish this thing and be able to look back on it. And in my mind, that was the the ultimate, the hardcore way to hike this thing. So I didn't want to slack pack. I didn't want to uh, flip-flop. I didn't want to blue blaze, aqua blaze, none of the above. I wanted to be the ultra purist. And, and we did. Uh, all of us, my family included. Wow. We were hardcore purists. So as somebody who approached this with no experience, no prior experience, or knowledge of the AT, where did that notion originate that you wanted to be a purist? How did that kind of like come into your approach? That definitely developed during the hike because I had never even heard that term prior to hiking. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that appeals to me. If you're going to do it, do it all the way, do it big. So that just appeals to my personality. And, and somewhere along the line, that term was thrown out the purest approach and it just struck a chord with me uh, in terms of my personality. So 
I don't remember at what point on the trail. It was probably a few months in, uh, but it, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Did you look down on slackpackers? <laughs> hike your own hikes. Maybe, maybe a little bit. Judgment. <laughs> the trail does not judge. No, uh, whatever a person needs to gain from, from their hike is, is all that matters. If, if you want to be out there for a day or a week or six months, if you want to if you want to slack pack, if you want to be a purist, if you want to party the whole way, it doesn't matter. You, you're, you're out there to gain something, and, and I hope you gain that. At the beginning, you said that you, your goal was really just to finish, to get check that mark. Uh, but after now that it's been a year or so afterwards, what do you think you gained from that experience beyond just checking it off and completing it? Uh, for starters, I made a solemn vow never to do anything like this again, and I stuck with that for about a year. Now I feel like maybe I have one more in me. Um, the big thing for me was the accomplishment, uh, was testing my mettle, so to speak, to to know that I could do it. That's, that's big for me. Um, what I learned along the way, the people, you know, the dirt path the hiking, the camping, that's fine. But the people are what made that experience so rewarding. The, the, the trail angels, the community, my tramley, the fellow hikers, people like you, just, just, it's the people that will, you know, it's kind of cliche, but they'll renew your faith in humanity. The support, the kindness, the generosity, just all things A.T., it's really meaningful. It's it's a special thing. I was thinking about that recently, that the, the trail is the trail. It's a dirt path. The trail is the same, but it's like everyone's experience is unique. It's a really cool concept and idea that the trail is a constant, but what people bring to it, get out of it, take home from it, while there are definite themes you know, each experience is unique. After the trail, some people talk about experiencing what we've kind of called post-trail depression. Did you experience anything like that? No, that's another great question. And uh, this is just me personally. Um, I, I kind of don't understand the, the concept. The, the question is lost on me because I simply got off the trail, put some clean clothes on, went and crushed a two-pound lobster in Maine because I deserved it, <laughs> and went home. You know, and, and once you're home, you get back to your, whatever it is your home life is, your, your, your house, your car, your dog, your family, your work. I simply went home. I equate it to going on a weekend camp out and going home Sunday afternoon and just kind of getting back to the, your groove same thing with this hike. I just got off the trail and, and went home. But when you started this, you had no home or job. So what did you come back to? I guess lucky enough for me, my, my previous employer uh, as a pipe fitter had a big project coming up. And so I, I sort of just rolled right into a, a distillery job, made it pretty easy to I guess, transition back, even though there wasn't much of a transition. So while you were on trail, you got a new job 
Yeah, the wow. offer the offer was made while hiking. Yeah, and just went straight to work. Yep, and it was just very natural. I just got off trail and went back to work. But yet, you still, even though you said this trail kicked my butt, I'm not doing anything like this again. But you are right. Uh, I have aspirations of of doing the PCT now. Yes, that's amazing. W- what is your motivation or thought process to like again i met you three times every time you said this trail's kicking my butt you talked about how difficult almost every day was yet some time goes by and you're ready to go do something similar or harder again what how do you get to that i guess my personality is such uh i'm a i'm a pretty positive guy i try to let the negative things go. I don't dwell on them. I basically try not even to remember them. So any negative aspects of the AT, the the physical challenge, the mental challenge, the grind, that's not what stands out to me. The the people, the incredible experience, the accomplishment I felt in myself, I guess I, I want that again. In everyday life, if somebody offers you something, most of us are immediately on guard, and we want to know what it's really going to cost. Things aren't given away for free out here very often. The AT community was so generous and so supportive that they would give anything and truly expect nothing in return. It was honest generosity. You don't see that every day out here. That's true. What advice would you give to an aspiring hiker that is similar to you with little or no experience, um, both in terms of like maybe gear stuff and or just mental, emotional approach to something like that? For me, it's simple. Just go do it because that's what I did. I had minimal preparation, virtually none, no experience, uh, no training, I didn't fully understand my gear. I definitely didn't know what food to pack. I just did this thing, and anybody can do it. There's really nothing that sets me apart physically. In all ways, I'm a pretty average guy, but I went out and and did this thing. It's uh, just do it. Man, I hope all the people in the Facebook groups that are newbies are asking these just... uh anxious questions about every little thing from socks to bugs to food to, you know, how far do I walk? Where am I going to camp? Are there campsites? And just so much anxiety about doing something like this. They are, they are obviously curious. My hope is those people will hear accounts like yours and they'll get the courage to just say, screw it, man, I'm just going to go do it. Those are all fair questions. I I had the same questions. I was worried about tick bites, and I was worried about starving to death, and I was worried about getting lost, and I was worried about so many silly things. Uh, I mean, they're not silly until you know better. At the, I, I worried about the exact same things. So, it's a well established trail. The support is there. The resupply points are there. The infrastructure is there. The trail is well marked. It's it's fairly user friendly. 
And, and let's be honest, a, a thousand or more people a year do this. If they can do it, if I can do it, you can do it. You're a true inspiration. So you said you really didn't have post-trail depression. Um, we've kind of started to talk about things maybe you learned, but what I'm really interested in is how it changed you or how that experience or did it change the way you approach daily life and possibly, you know, things in the future? That's a tough one because those changes that happen out on the trail happen so slowly that you you hardly notice them. I would say I definitely have the uh, pride of of completing this thing. I have more confidence now. I feel like I can do just about anything. And, and the way I look about, the way I look at people now, um, I definitely want to take the time to hear people's story and, and connect with people. Life can get busy and business-like, and we can be dismissive. Um, but I definitely want to take the time to hear your story now. It doesn't matter to me if you're rich or poor or if you're, you know, the CEO of a of a corporation or if you're the homeless guy under the bridge, I know you have a story and I want to hear that story now. So it, it it's truly the people that um that I'm interested in now. You've gained a lot from that experience. I think it's really cool that you started on short notice, no experience, not even the right gear <laughs> and just did it, learned from it. And basically our example to an example to other people who might be afraid to do that. And even though you set out just to hit a check mark, complete the task, it has changed your perspective on some things that undoubtedly will improve your life over what it was in the past. I think that's cool. It's definitely a life-changing experience. Well, I just want to thank you for being willing to take the time to meet and come on and do this podcast live. Um, I appreciate meeting you, getting to know you, seeing you along the trail, and seeing you after the trail. Um, so thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it just as much, and, and, and if anybody gains anything from, from hearing a portion of my experience, then, then that's a win as well. Thanks, man. We'll look forward to the what's next for you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Hiker Trash Podcast. If you'd like to support this project, you can go buy a coffee table book or a fine art print. You can do it at our website, localexposuremagazine.com. You can show some love to Scott Lowe. He provided the music for today's episode. You can find him on Instagram at Scott Lowe Songs. Hey, if you enjoy this, tell someone. Send them a text, make a post, talk about it. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.